Hello everybody and welcome to another E5 podcast. As you can probably tell, uh, this is not the Brady Bunch. This is uh, the largest lineup of guests we've ever had. So um, before we get on, let me introduce myself. I am Paul Meenan. I'm your host for today and I'm joined by my regular tag team partners. Introduce yourself, chaps. Hello, I'm JW. And it's David here, aka Sparky Ninja. And we are joined today by a plethora, which is a very big word, of guests. Um, so can you all introduce yourself, who you are and who you work for? I'm uh, Sean Elliott Mayer. I'm a director at Earthing Services, uh, overseeing opera operations and communications. And Earthing Services is the European partner enterprise of SAE. Right, my name is uh, John Mayer. I am the technical partner of Earthing Services, also in the UK. Hello, I'm Todd Sarola. I'm the CEO of SAE, and uh, we've been doing grounding uh, engineering work and manufacturing a variety of grounding products for over 30 years. I'm Rick Kennerly, um, independent contractor, subject matter expert for personal protective grounding in the electric utility space, uh, both transmission, distribution, and substation. Hi, I'm Chris Cox. Uh, I'm the utilities technical specialist for SAE. Uh, I have uh, 35 years experience in the power utility network that before being recycled by Todd. And I'm uh, Rylan Boyd, the engineering manager at SAE, and uh, I complete a lot of engineering design and field work for power utilities and, and gas utilities and everything in between. Right. So before we go on, um, there's some words i probably should brief everybody listening to this there are terms uh, in this podcast that may sound a bit uh, different from what we normally talk about because this is the last in our series for now on the old earthing and bonding um topic um but what we thought we'd do is we would push the boundaries outside of the uk um and we're going to be talking about a term called grounding now to quote the definition of grounding from the uh canadian wiring code um grounding is defined in the canadian code as a permanent and continuous conductive path to the earth with sufficient ampacity or ampicity, sorry, uh, to carry any fault current liable to be imposed upon it and of a sufficiently low impedance to limit the voltage rise above the ground and to facilitate the operation of the protective devices in a circuit. So if you hear the term grounding, right. makes it the same as earthing. Right. When I, when I write a book, I'm, put, I'm putting the word ampacity in my book. Ampacity is an awesome word, I like isn't it? It's probably going to end up in our wiring rigs anyway. So we're not yeah. just talking about the big blue book. We're going to be talking about some of the, um, the, the codes um, in the Americas and codes is another term for what we would call regulations. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's fair to say, fair to say chaps. Mm. Yeah, no arguments here. Okay, so we have um, over the last couple of months this year consistently talked about the differences between earthing um, or grounding and bonding, which is localized equalization of voltages within an installation to protect users under fault conditions. Um, and we've talked about the many challenges that it has for whether it be the domestic homeowner um, who are now being, uh, we've got this mad rush for EV chargers, electric vehicles everywhere. Our government have just announced within 10 years that diesel and petrol are being phased out. So there's lots of challenges that comes um, with. We also have network conditions where the, the supply cables are ancient and failing, which is then giving rise to what we call uh, broken protective earth neutral cables, um, which can then cause harm within the installation. And what it's doing is it's making the earthing or grounding and bonding 
a lot more complex within electrical installations. Um, now, what, what kind of challenges, that's just one of the challenges we have in the UK. What kind of challenges have you guys found where you're all based? Open to anyone. Oh. Well, I think we'll throw that straight over to uh, SAE. Uh, Todd? Oh, Chris, do you want to take this one? Sure, sure. <laughs> sure. It's, it's, it's where to start is the confusion there. There are a lot of challenges here. Uh, there's a huge focus over here as well on EV chargers and on grid modernization. Uh, with the changes in weather, the destruction of uh, grids within certain utilities, um, the focus on rebuilding infrastructure has certainly uh, brought the utility uh, focus on to metal poles, corrosion, proper grounding, uh, increased lightning, storms, uh, fires. If any of you have been watching the news, you probably think California is on fire as we speak. So there's a lot of attention being put on grounding in North America and Todd is in the middle of it. So is grid integrity a big issue over there as well? It is, it is. As you can imagine, the sheer number of wind farms, solar farms, as you, you see a push mm. towards EV over here, they are rushing to build massive solar generation uh, facilities or offshore wind. And of course, connecting these to the grid and making it reliable in the face of the increasing number of lightning storms is, is a huge challenge. Uh, I, I could go on, but I don't want to take the whole hour. <laughs> well, I think I, I also think it's worthwhile to point out that uh, what we do tend to find on larger networks uh, in the power utility sector that perhaps um, where they were originally built to code. As time goes by, um, you know, you, you have degradation of the systems, whether it's uh, uh, through uh, corrosion or, or uh, theft or other things like that, that all of a sudden, you know, uh, utilities are facing uh, significant challenges with respect to their grounding because quite frankly, it may not even be there anymore. So um, I think it's important to understand with respect to uh, power utilities, uh, for example, that the network reliability and the safety of the personnel can be tremendously improved by doing proper grounding. And uh, it's also worth pointing out that there are strategies that you can use specific for lightning um, to improve the reliability of power networks uh, and I, I think that that's uh, an area that there, there are severe challenges right now because the strategy of using a 400-year-old uh, tool to do all things grounding, which, you know, by that I mean the ground rod, um, you know, doesn't, doesn't necessarily yield uh, the most reliable performance under direct yeah. lightning attachment. I think... And I think whether you're talking about you know, earthing for whatever means, be it as um, the earth electrode for a lightning protection system or, um, or any sort of earthing provision, um, it's one of those things where the, the methods and the materials have changed so little um, for so long that the, the, the methods and the materials that we have 
um, are almost a base presumption like gravity, you know, earthing equals earth rod or, um, you know, the, the sorts of traditional and, uh, traditional and conventional ways that these things have been done. And when we think that earthing is ultimately uh, a life-saving system, um, it makes deviation quite uncomfortable for people. Certainly as, you know, there's a reputation that earthing is a bit of a dark art. So, you know, if you think, well, I don't really understand it and it always seems to have been done this way. So therefore that's the way to do it. You know, not to sound like Mr. Punch or anything, but it's there, isn't it? It does, um, it does, seem, it does seem that because it doesn't have much of an active um, impact on the end design from the engineer's perspective of, wow, this does work now. That they kind of don't change it but when we look at over legacy in time how we use electricity differently now how we expose yeah. the systems to much more uh diverse currents leakage currents fault currents um this system clearly has to evolve with that mm. Absolutely, yeah. you know? and, and yeah. if you if you don't mind me saying so this is one of the things that we found on this little journey of podcasting is we did about seven hours worth of um podcasts on surge protection and it immediately gravitated into lightning protection, which oh. in the UK is BSEN 62305 suite of standards. And we had uh, the now president of Atlas, which is the Steeplejacks Lightning Protection Organization. And he was sitting on our podcast going through educating us where he was talking about with a lot of lightning protection systems, you have your standard down tape with your rods grounding the system. But in fairness, we're, we're a bit we're like buffoons, really, because we just bond everything, which can make the actual overall bonding and earthing or grounding of the installation actually more hazardous. Whereas if we select and erect or what I keep saying on these podcasts, configure your earthing or grounding system correctly with your bonding system so that you are competently aware of leakage currents, fault currents, transients, network currents, uh, lightning protection issues, um, we need to develop an, our understanding, whereas you go onto any construction project of any size anywhere in the world, and they'll just say, well, we've got to make sure someone's doing the grounding or the earthing out, and let's stick some bonding conductors in, without realizing that if you don't size your bonding conductors, you can actually be having, you can have those bonding conductors carrying installation oh, fault currents um, during normal operation, never mind fault. And that's, that's the scary thing, and people only realize it when things start to go bang, or cables start to melt and fires occur and then they get someone in who goes hmm wonder why that is i mean quick story dave knows this john knows this i'm currently investigating at the moment on my railway i work on the railway i'm the electrical manager there um i can go onto my lv earths uh, put an earth leakage clamp meter on an lv bond um and i'll pick up 30 amps oh, wow 30 amps, no problem at all. 30 amps, easily. I think it peaked at 59. 59, I think, if I remember right, Dave, was the maximum so. on an LV, low voltage, exposed green and yellow uh, bonding conductor. Not a grounding conductor, a bonding conductor. Yeah. Wow. Which, uh, which, mm. which railway Which railway do I need to avoid? <laughs> <laughs> so, right, don't worry, it's, it's still an equipotential zone. Just got a lot okay. of energy in it, that's all. Um, it, it, well, turns out, it turns out, we, we know what it is. It's the traction return from the overhead lines. So right. it's straight into your figured, system. Rather than going right. to the track and down back to the transformer, our right. station is considered a low impedance at the grounding electrode. Yeah. Um, and yeah. it's then going into that, but it's yeah. taking right. all the fortuitous paths. So we have a lead right. water main, which is great. Nice low impedance oh. piece of lead. 
fantastic. Uh-huh. So it wants to go down there rather than this yeah. big, thick, bulky rail right. with high impedance rusted joints because somebody <laughs> maintained right. the track. Yeah, I, I, I think the point about um, having a system, uh, we, we like to refer to um, a lot of the work that we do as building electrical protection systems. And, and we do an awful lot of work in uh, telecommunications. And your point is right on. Like you can't, you can't solve uh, the problems that are presented unless the whole system is integrated. And, um, you know, as an example, people talk about surge protection all the time, but I don't know how many uh, telecom facilities I've been in where the, where the um, you know, the, the grounding was not properly uh, uh, taken care of. And so the protective devices, uh, even if we go back to plain old telephone, you know, the incoming lines, well, the surge protectors are, are fantastic, but only if they're grounded. And so, um, you know, we, we actually do pay tremendous attention to integrating the system. We use layered surge protection, including the service pool, um, by the way, because your best chance to solve the problem starts at the service pool in many circumstances where the surge comes in from the power utility. And then we, we use uh, layered surge protection on the panels. And of course, if it's a telecom environment, if we stay with that example, we make sure that the, the line protection is also uh, taken care of. But the source of all of the um, protection ultimately will depend on the uh, low impedance grounding that you connect all of this stuff to. And it's, um, you know, it, it's just a, sort of a recurring theme here. You get to a place that's had a problem and then you have to audit it, figure out where the issues are. Sometimes uh, the grounding is actually been rebuilt. We went to a switch um, years ago in Ottawa and the, the switch grounding had been completely redone. Well, after three hours of crawling around under the raised floor, we realized that there were still loops internal to the building. So when uh, lightning was delivered to the tower, it was conducted inside and blew up the switch again. Um, But the contractor was happy to tell me, the contractor had done the upgrade, was happy to tell me the ground was below two ohms. And I just looked at him and said, well, how'd that work out for you? (laughs) So the the integration of these systems and and actually having a system, if you will, for protecting uh, critical uh, equipment has to be um, very well thought out. I was going to say, um, certainly in relation to the rails, I, you, you must have heard it. I mean, certainly uh, in all of the rail projects I've been involved with, there's always this phrase that's thrown around and it's earthing and bonding strategy. Yes. Earthing and bonding, what's the earthing and bonding strategy? And you just sort mm. of think, well, Usually there is just this complete absence of it. It's almost like um, safety blanket, you know, or we'll say strategy, and then that makes us feel good, like we're actually doing something yep. proactive and thought this through. Mm-hmm. And you know, and the inverse is so usually the case. I'm just going to say this. Um, I think John will probably remember this one better than I did because he was the investigator from our um, company. I was just grabbing dust then. I wasn't, you know, seeing ghosts. Um, yeah, John, can you? Uh, there was the uh, there was a particular. Uh, care facility that you visited that had um, 
uh, an innovation with regards to uh, lining protection. Remember that one. Right, this is where we had the, uh, uh, well, all the electrical was blown up because of a lightning strike. And uh, when we looked into the, uh, what the problem was, it was, uh, the lightning wasn't bonded to the, uh, uh, the, the aerial supplying the whole of the facility wasn't bonded into the lightning protection system. So as a result, the lightning strike went inside the building and then it just found, uh, uh, blew up the telecoms, the TV system, and then took out the, uh, the power supply as well. So although it had light protection, it just wasn't uh, bonded into the aerial. Oh dear. So, and it happened a couple of times before we were called in. But uh, no, it, we have two sides to our system. One where we actually uh, design electrical earth systems. And we looked at everything right from the ground upwards. Uh, first off, uh, let's look at uh, what we're dealing with. On, what are the actual faults we're having to contain within the earth system? And from that, uh, we then build up, you know, looking at line protection, all the internal bonding, um, surge protection. So before we can leave the drawing board, we have to ensure that site is safe. And then it's just down to, uh, it's handed over to the installation guys then. From the other side of the business, um, we will investigate problems. Um, you tell us what your problem is and we'll provide a solution. But unfortunately, that process can take some considerable time. We were working with a, a major uh, telephone organization within the UK. Um, you're sure you'll bear me out on this one. It was about 18 months before we actually got down to the nuts and bolts of what the real issues were. Yeah, what, what's trying to be achieved? That's the big one. What do you actually want to achieve from this? Because, you know, it's one of those things that when it comes to earthing or grounding, light protection, electrical safety, um, we're good at that. Um, mind reading, not so good. The trouble is, if you don't mind me saying this, is are, are we any good at it? Because I'm finding as time goes on that the, 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 the comment you mentioned earlier on about uh, an earthing and bonding strategy. I have sat in many, many meetings for many new builds of railway stations where a designer will go, oh, yes, and our deliverables are the earthing and bonding strategy, um, the, the civils designs, the architectural design, oh, and by the, by the way, the EMC strategy. And I sit there and go, but is an earthing and bonding part of EMC? So would it not make sense for them to go as one because if you're considering the emc emi emf and earthing they're kind of shielding it's it's all it's all part and parcel and have you read this standard and you can see in the whites of their eyes them going um, um oh, yeah. same. and we you almost hear them subconsciously going yeah. i'm cutting and pasting the last one that we thought <laughs> if, if you remember the um if you remember the surge protection webinars that we did when we moved on to lightning protection one of the things that he was always saying is lightning is always considered as an afterthought yeah. if there's any money left you know but it should be done right at the beginning combined with your earthing strategy if you want to you know um but a lot of the times he, f he finds that in the in UK specifically, um, lighting protection is considered as a, is there any money left in the purse for this? Uh -huh. You know, right at the end. 
yes, that by that time, you've actually lost the opportunity of using natural conductors. Yep. Mm -hmm. It's, well, it's but, the same globally if you don't mind me saying the um it's whatever money's left after the concrete farmers and the hole diggers have had their fun and made their mistakes and i've always said that the the poor cousins are always uh, um lightning protection and emergency lighting they seem to be the ones that are de-scoped and value engineered to the point of a sandwich box with a bulb in it on the ceiling and maybe, maybe a bit of wire around the building if you're lucky um, but just just on that, because it's fairly evident that we have globally the same problems. Um, regardless, yeah. one things I didn't dif uh, reference to. Obviously, you guys use the term grounding, we use the term earthing, but we have the same term bonding. Now, yeah. I'm going to read out for those listening and watching. Um, bonding uh, under the Canadian Code, which I love, is defined as a low impedance path obtained by permanently joining all non-current carrying metal parts to ensure electrical continuity and having the capacity to conduct safely any current likely to be imposed upon it. Our regulations, uh, potential bonding is an electrical connection maintaining various exposed conductive parts and extraneous conductive parts at substantially the same potential. I know which one I prefer, and it's not this blue book. There's <laughs> better English in the Canadian code, to be perfectly frank, although grounding is a totally new term, but when you think about what grounding is, it's the exact same as earthing. It's just, yeah. just a different way of spelling it out. Uh -huh. um, right. Okay. So we have global challenges. I think it's fair to say that money, competency, strategies, configuration, all of them are, are keys to getting the right earthing and bonding system. But if we take this down to uh, another level, which is the um, domestic setting now, John, you're still on the tools um, doing, Johnny, John Moore, do you, do you still do you do any EV charging or drive any electrodes as part of your day-to-day -day work? Not, yet? not yet. It's something we were doing next year, hopefully. So okay. uh, not currently, but the whole domestic thing or the sort of residential thing, as you call it, probably over there, is that most like houses or similar here do not have their own separate earth electrodes or anything else. They're purely relying on the cable that's coming in from the electricity supplier. So this whole concept of putting in earth rods, at certainly to people's dwellings, is pretty much never done. It is in the regulations to actually do it, but of course it's optional. And of course, if things are optional, nobody actually bothers. They say, oh, we don't bother, but that's optional. So and now, and certainly the regulations we have over electric vehicle supply equipment is, well, it certainly was the case that people were actually going around just banging in earth rods here, there, and all over the place, because it said in the book, oh, you must do this or do that with no real in knowledge or intent of what they were doing and of course there's just ramming these rods into the ground right next to the supply cable and piercing through gas lines and all the other kind of trouble that goes with it so in sort of that that particular sector the whole concept of putting in earth rods for your electric station is pretty much unheard of as it's it's really never been done yeah i i think that's fair to say well the reason that was a leading question john is um i am a big fan of innovation i am also a big fan of doing things differently because i've always said this sometimes the way we always do things isn't always necessarily the right way of doing things it's just the bad behaviors and poor competency that we've inherited possibly um and one thing that um the reason i i in, i asked uh, earthing services and the chaps from sae to come on is these guys have some products and by the way before anyone says if we're not sponsored 
There's no money exchanging hands. We're just nine saddos talking about earthing and bonding together across the planet. Okay. Uh, but the one thing I will, I will say is I'm just going to highlight this one thing in my hand here. And it's a data sheet for something called a conju disc. Now I saw this and it's got me very, very excited. So does one of you chaps want to introduce us to what a conju disc is? Cause it's, it's basically earthing without rods. I think that one's for Todd. <laughs> well, do you want me to start with it? Go for it. Um, you could go ahead, John. All right. Um, well, Todd uh, sent over one of his uh, latest devices, of which there are quite a few in the pipeline still to be uh, exploited. Um, and I thought, I can't see a use for that in the UK. This conduit is uh, going to sit underneath a timber utility pole. But uh, we had a, a, a problem to solve for one of our major clients where there was a block of flats in Manchester where they were dependent on uh, uh, the neutral from the PME as, you know, uh, if a fault occurred, to deal with it. But there was a fault in the neutral which wasn't picked up. And it became evident that... Uh, we had to do something about, you know, providing a TT earth. So the quick fix uh, was using condocrete. But subsequent to that, uh, we thought, what is a conduit? It's basically an electrode. It's a means of uh, dealing with a fault to earth. So from that, um, we thought, why not? Uh, there's no need to drive... Uh, earth rod electrodes for electric car charging points when the regulations changed in 2018. And subsequent to that, um, they, they've become very, very popular. All that's required is to use the existing excavation for the charge point and just sit this disc underneath it. So there's no additional work. Uh, the cable's already made off inside the disc itself, so there's no terminating. All that's required is to literally connect it to the uh, uh, to earth terminal within the charging point. As simple as that. Uh, am I correct just... in saying that you're going to position a, a charging point, maybe in an industrial site, you're going to do the civvy work first, dig the hole to put the concrete in to then put the charging point on them. You're saying that we could just place the conduit disc underneath that foundation material? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, I mean, just for the benefit of anyone uh, listening who may not have seen uh, Paul's wonderful modelling of the data sheet, um, Todd, do you want to do, actually describe, well, again, wow, this is just a whole new career that's going to open up. So... I guess the simplest way to describe it, it's a, it's a, a disc. Um, we put a conductive polymer uh, to surround um, a galvanized uh, steel plate that's inside it so that it won't corrode, uh, which is, you know, one of the main issues with any direct buried metal electrode is how long is it going to last? Yes. But then we also paid attention to uh, the size. It's equivalent to a three meter ground rod in a surface area. So instead of going to a site and having to drive the rod and, and perhaps hitting something, or in, in, in this side of the pond, we have a lot of people uh, that are driving them manually and they get hurt. Uh -huh. So uh, when you consider 
the safety improvement and the labor savings uh, and the, the performance, uh, you know, being uh, equivalent and sometimes it's even better than a driven rod, it starts to look, uh, you know, like a pretty good idea. And, and I think that's, it's important to understand that doing things differently uh, sometimes means that you're doing them better. And yeah. the tendency in, in, in the industry is to kind of put something that's different aside and, and, and you know, decide that you're going to use it uh, perhaps 20 years from now. And that really is um, uh, an issue when you innovate yeah. in this environment. Yeah, can I pick up on that one, Todd? Sure, go ahead. Um, I mean, there's a phrase that we often use, which is, if lads weren't smarter than their dads, we'd all still be living in caves. <laughs> um, but the truth of the matter is that you know at some point someone had to step out of the cave yeah. and stepping out of that cave and doing things a little bit differently that must have been a scary moment and <laughs> in the same way if you look at the evolution of uh, electrical earthing we start with benjamin franklin with a kite with uh, you know a little bit of copper hanging off the end going into the ground and there we get our first experience with lightning. We understand that. Then we get Michael Faraday with, you know, the grid, the cage that we um, then came to rely on. The next innovation, you know, fast forward, what, 160, 70 years, about more. Um, and then you get to sort of an, a couple of accidental innovations where, um, you know, uh, they kind of the happenstance of oh that seems to do this maybe it will work for that great but in terms of sitting down to say right let's develop something new let's do this better um, than the earth rod let's do this better than having to just keep pouring copper all over everything and um, that more or less comes up to SAE starting with Condocrete you know one of the um, other products which we can talk about in a little bit but then um, Again, I'm not an anthropologist, but as I understand it, one of the, um, the differences that sort of differentiates a human being from not just the other primates, but you know, all of animals is that we don't like to solve a problem. We like to solve a problem again and again and again and again and again. So we don't just need to get a tool that will do this and we can just sort of jam it in. No, 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 we'll get something more precise. And actually in different circumstances, we'll do something in a different way and we'll keep solving these same problems um but again you get something like electrical earthing and we get to rods and tape and then it's done for a long time along come the guys at sae who say well actually no we'll solve that problem and oh look well actually instead of just trying to adapt that same solution to this then actually we could do something different for that okay we'll develop a new product oh what about that problem over there oh well actually instead of adapting this we can just do a whole new product that will solve the problem better. Um, and it's that philosophy of, we'll do some heavy lifting outside to develop the best product that will um, be you know, usually specific to that application or directly translatable, as we get with something like the Conjure Disc. Um, and then, okay, right, there's a different problem. We're going to, we'll go and get something ready for that. You know, we're dealing with rock, okay, these solutions won't work for that. We'll go and figure out something for that. So this, and, this, if you don't mind me saying, this is what blows me away because when I first 
found out about the earthing services and sae when you and please i'll put the link in the youtube description below but um, please check them out because for me one of the biggest struggles that electricians are having in the uk at the moment if they are working even if it's industrial commercial if you're doing lightning protection you've got the ball ache of i've just put lightning protection rods in at fenchurch street which was a nightmare because you can imagine outside Fenchurch Street, in the middle of densest London, you have gas mains, utilities, fibres, everything everywhere. It took us a lot of time and a lot of digging up of the street to find a place where we could put an earth electrode because the last one had disappeared, literally just turned to dust. Um, so again, that's from doing proper maintenance. But what, what blew me away is the fact that I can dig a hole, as it's, tell me if I'm wrong, about six, 700 mil deep. Um, yeah. which isn't that much not beyond the realms of impossibility for a spark who's digging out an earthing um access cover drop this thing in and and voila i don't need to do any hazardous scanning i don't have to put an earth electrode two meters down plus another one plus another one i can just drop this bad boy in if i want to increase the um the likelihood of it giving me a low impedance use some conjugate which is we'll get onto in a bit um, and then that's it. I've, I've got my local earthing. So whether I'm doing EV charging, um, lightning protection, this is a new way of doing rodless earthing. Yeah. See, yeah. for me, if I think about when we did our lightning protection oh. webinars, uh, podcasts, one of the things that was quite clear is Europe is ahead of the UK. And over there, they won't use copper. You know, steel, galve. And over there, if you say copper, they will probably just pick up an electrode and hit you with it. They just, no, 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 no. Um, <laughs> so when you, when you think about the way that they're changing or they're moving forward there and leaving copper, you know, not even touching copper over there, combining yep. that with the fact that, as you say, well, with Fenchurch Street, where your copper electrode was just basically chewed away by the currents. Yep. Um, hearing that, so this is a steel stone, steel disc. What's it, what's it coated in? It's a conductive polymer. Uh, it's a proprietary material um, that's conductive, but also very low permeability to water. So what happens when you when you do that is that uh, the life expectancy goes up by about a factor of twenty over what wow. it would be as a bare metal, which is, which and, is brilliant for your um, your life cycle um, expectation. Yeah. Um, yeah, which, yeah. Which we discussed in our asset management um, discussion. Well, it says on the data yeah. sheet it can last up to sixty years. Obviously, that's dependent right. on ground conditions, external. That's influence. right. Yeah, but that yeah. from an asset management perspective is amazing. I I put an earth electrode in. A, um, again, I'll use an example. Um, yeah. Stratford railway station. We were building some new London underground platforms, and there are two HV traction systems, and there are two DC traction system, a third yeah. rail and a fourth rail. And yeah. we put some rods in for the site temporaries, came back yeah. just over two years later. They were gone. The only thing that was there was the connection on the top of the rod. Everything in the ground had just disappeared. Yeah. So this is um, a very important point you're making because what we've discovered is the same thing as you. And in these uh, DC environments where you have a lot of stray DC moving, mm -hmm. I mean, when we do accelerated corrosion testing in the lab, that's how we do it. So it, you have to understand that, especially in many urban environments where you have so much buried infrastructure and you have a lot of DC, whether it's from uh, rail or it happens to be uh, cathodic protection, what have you, 
the, the metal that you put in there is not going to last near as long as you expect. And in, in cases that you're describing, two years is uh, aggressive, but it's not unusual. So that's why when we talk about any of the materials that you'll hear about on these uh, discussions, uh, if we go back to the disc, for example, there is always going to be a conductive matrix around that metal, uh, the electrode, that um, is low permeability to water. Um, the other thing you have to understand is that these materials are carbonaceous. Our favorite color happens to be black. You may have noticed that. Uh, so that uh, means that when DC is migrating around, moving from point to point to get back to source, um, the carbon will be consumed in that transaction, not the metal that the carbon surrounds. Mm. Okay, so this is a very, very big deal. And um, it's, it's something that very few people uh, understand. Uh, and that's why we're, we're taking... Um, you know, pains to make sure all of our solutions address that problem and stop the corrosion of the metal. Well, let me interject in the conversation here. Y'all brought up some very good points concerning right. asset protection, uh, you know, management of, of your assets to live a long life, to um, you prevent corrosion and those type of things. But let's also think about the workers, the electricians that have to do planned maintenance on these systems, they're relying on these electrodes for personal protection, whether it be from capacitive induced voltages or magnetic induction, uh, that they, they assume that these protective devices are working or in place. The, the issue there uh, right now is they may not be based on the conversations we're having about several couple years, three, four years later, these electrodes are turning to dust. So uh, I guess my message is to bring out to, to the electrician, to the workers that are listening to this, to be cautious of, um, be cautious of, you know, you're working right now. Uh, you have to assume that these electrodes are not in place. So from a, a barrier standpoint, I would suggest, you know, wearing your boots, uh, your dielectric boots, wearing your rubber gloves, protecting yourself uh, from a personal protective standpoint, because there are such things as touch voltages, uh, step voltages involved during faults, and then day-to-day uh, -day operations, depending on your environment, capacitive induction can be lethal, as well as getting in series with uh, magnetic induction. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. That's a really important point. You know, it, th these systems are supposed to be, you know, they're life-saving systems. When they're needed, they need to work. So, if the components that they, you know, of which they're comprised, are no longer there or no or, or insufficient, you know, if it's you know um, deteriorated to an extent where they're no longer able to to carry the fault, then that's going to come back to the poor guys who've got to do the installation. And um, again, I'm not even going to men uh, mention sectors on this because I think that's the safest thing for everyone. But um, you know, there are certain perspectives where um, people who make decisions relating, certainly when it comes to maintenance of large scale systems, um, particularly when it gets down to earthing, you know, you've got to remember these things are being buried in the ground. And if something's in the ground, it's hard to check if it's there. And if it's hard to check if it's there and it's buried in the ground, so you can't really see it, whether it's there or not, it's very easy to uh, forget, uh, forget about and actually overlook. Oh, yeah. And, 
and then presume, well, it can't be a problem. It's not likely to be a problem. You know, well, I don't even want to look at the budget as far as that's concerned. It'll be fine. Well, those decisions are, are okay to make if you're in an office and you're never going to go to site. But if you're the guy who's actually got to go, even whether it to be to, to drive a rod or to do some work on that system, nothing to do with that. You know, it's just a case of, all right, we'll just connect onto that so that we've got that protection of the earth. Well, if the earth isn't there or it's not functional, then, then that's their lives on the line, not the people, you know, sometimes a long way away making those decisions. Just to follow on from that, um, and it's a really valid point because what what one of the things that I've mandated on my guys, um, Dave knows this, is that all my electricians now have to carry um, earth leakage clamp meters. And before they do any work, I, I'm asking them now to check the earthing system um, to make sure there's no potentials on it. I'm asking them to check it for any leakage currents, any current at all. Um, there's no unauthorized disconnection of any earth period. Um, if there's a connection of a new earthing system, it's got to be done at night when the entire railway is shut off completely because I don't want any arc flash hazards occurring. Um, so yeah, it, it's, we need to, I think for electricians, um, sadly, um, and I don't know how this is in the Americas, but we need to think and consider the earthing and bonding systems just as potentially hazardous as mm. as a line conductor. Well, there are there are there are areas that we're not as aware of that they are over there. I mean, you mentioned arc flash um, over there. You've got NFPA seventy E and all those approaches doesn't exist over here. We rely mm. heavily on working practices to just yeah. assess risk and don't do the work, but some work has to be done. Yeah. And especially if we're assuming that the presence of an adequate earthing system will prevent, if the adequate earthing system is not maintained and is, if it's yeah. chewed up and it's dust now, um, the work's got to be done. And if there's a risk of art flash, we've got to obviously identify the risk and prevent that, such as the, the insulated boots, such as the category equipment, yeah. such as the suitable working procedures. A lot of people still think a buried electrode is safe because it's buried. And it's not going to be, you know, it's not going to cause any harm, but they don't really understand the currents that are actually being subjected to that electrode. Obviously, okay. under full free conditions, by just the natural characteristics of your system and under full conditions. They just don't understand it. I might have to say that Stratford is probably the worst place to be working. <laughs> we have three systems there. We have the Dockland Railway, we yeah. have the London Underground, and we've got HS1 passing wow. underneath. Where there's uh, three substations which I actually designed for the uh, HS1 that mm. pass straight down there. So, you know, from 25,000 volts AC, 750 volts DC, all in one area. I also happen to know that there is no earthing and bonding strategy um, for Stratford as a holistic area. I know because I asked for it and I got a load of blank faces. Um, but just, just on that, and trust me, I did get a load of blank faces in 2002. Um, just on that, though, again, going back to the safety of the worker, um, very important. One thing that a lot of electricians are finding, and probably too many now, because when I was younger and I was testing on the tools, I yeah. knew that I could go out and do a ZE, um, an earth loop impedance measurement on my network supply. And generally, you knew the values. You knew what the regulations or the code had as a maximum, but you were well under because it was a very good low impedance network. Fast forward 20-odd years, 
and the the numbers are creeping up and up and up past the values that are in the code or the regulations but then when you go to the network operator they then go well it's still okay and they allow you a little bit more which just push the maximum away, up with it haven't they yeah they've raised <laughs> the, the maximum a bit and straight away you go there is a problem on the network now what's happening is a lot of electricians especially the commercial industrial electricians are going into buildings where there may be large warehouses where that external supply earth is gone it's corroded it's disappeared it has done for years but the earthing is managed by the bonds connecting to the structure henceforth grounding it sufficiently um, and only when there's a major shutdown or a change of ownership and a refurb that they find they don't actually have a designated uh, grounding or earthing conductor which will take faults back to the transformer and we're finding that more and more and more in this country it just shows you nobody's nobody's properly looking after and maintaining these systems which given they're for safety it's quite worrying yeah overlooked and undervalued because they're underground yeah indeed i think on that gents we're going to end this one but we're going to ask you back because otherwise we'll end up going into the 10 hour marathon sessions. So if it's okay with you, we'll, um, we'll by the magic of the internet, we'll end here and we'll come back in a week's time or maybe five minutes. Um, so uh, does anybody have? <laughs> Do I have to change my shirt? <laughs> Hold it. I've got Stratford down and where else do I have to avoid? <laughs> East of London. East. Yeah, East London. of London and most of North London. Um, no, uh, just London in general, really. Um, yeah, chaps, thank you very much for joining us. Do anyone have any final thoughts they want to put on this 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 episode? Any final? Um, if if this is if this is obviously a, you know the the one you're listening to and you're not going to listen to the next one where we're going to talk more about this con, this uh, conjugate conjugate, uh, look it up and also bear in mind that it is a much safer method of installation from a safe working perspective no driving of electrodes for me who does training that's a huge benefit as well as the electrical benefit not having to drive electrodes we haven't mentioned the the too much about the increased level of safety that's actually achieved with not having to drive an electrode so i just wanted to throw that in just to close this one off for me anything else oh, that is a good point uh, as he said below there often we are contacted after an accident right yeah people are those are accidents. that's so we if, if you can prevent the accident then that's the place we should be nothing else has got a place to end as any <laughs> right um that's it then um until the next one thank you you know the usual spiel everybody um thank you to my tag team partners thank you to earthing services in the chat yes, and until the next one take care of yourself and each other bye-bye <laughs>